This episode of Invest Like a Boss is brought to you in part by Masterclass. Now, you're probably listening to this podcast because you want to learn something about investing and you want to learn a new skill. Well, there's other skills beyond investing. In fact, you can learn pretty much everything on Masterclass. So I've been on a kick uh, probably due to the pandemic when that all started. I really got into cooking and I got to say I'm, I'm pretty good right now, but I'm not as good as Gordon Ramsay. No, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay has a Masterclass series. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. He yells a lot on TV, but maybe I could use a good yelling. Well, the Gordon Ramsay on Masterclass is very different. He's actually a really nice guy. And he helped me create amazing food. Something so simple as an egg. You didn't realize how many different ways there are to cook it and how many better ways there are to cook it. Well, Gordon Ramsay knows how to do all that. And I even made his Michelin star winning lobster ravioli. And it was fantastic. It was super easy to do. I did it all with Masterclass. Masterclass. You can stream it right on your phone or you can send it over to your smart TV. All kinds of different ways to check out your Masterclass or even just on the audio only version if you prefer as well. They have over 180 instructors on here and like huge names that you've definitely heard of. Maybe you want to get a little bit funnier. Steve Martin's got a class on there or you're into F1 racing. Lewis Hamilton has a class. Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson if you want to get your science on. Anna Wintour, Chris Jenner if you want to do your fashion maybe your personal branding. There's something for everyone on there. So this fall, learn from the best and become your best with Masterclass. You can boost your confidence and find practical takeaways you can apply to your life and also at work. If you own a business or a team leader, you can use Masterclass to empower and create future-ready employees and leaders. And right now, because you are an Invest Like a Boss listener, you'll get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash iLab. You do have to go to that site to get your discount. So get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash iLab. That's masterclass.com slash I-L-A-B. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. I'm Derek Sparts. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Welcome back, bosses. This is episode 281. This is Sam, and I'm sitting in a beautiful summer turning into fall, South Carolina. And my co-host, Derek, looks like he's back from his very long-winded trip to Australia, back to the Pacific Coast. Good eye, mate. Uh, yeah, it was... N- n- nailed it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a fun trip. We're going to talk about one of my stops uh, on that trip. But yeah, I started in Sydney. I ran the, the Sydney Marathon. I did my worst marathon time ever, but at least I still finished. And then I went up to this little town called Byron Bay on the ocean, which was mm-hmm. super cool. And then Gold Coast, which is where we're going to talk about. Also, not what I expected at all, like a major modern city. I thought it would just be like a little beach town. I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. It's kind of like Florida, I guess. So Sam, you I, mm-hmm. I realized why you invested in there. It probably it seems just like Miami almost. And then um, hopped over to Brisbane, which actually ended up being my favorite spot. And uh, Black Hops, who we're going to talk about today, actually has a spot in Brisbane as well. So this might be a controversial opinion. People seem to love Sydney, but I thought Brisbane and Queensland in general was actually a lot more fun than Brisbane. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, than Sydney. In Sydney. Yeah. I had a very short trip to Australia one time. 
But Sydney to me was like, you know, big cities, San Francisco, and all the other places were just much more kind of manageable, more small town, small town vibes and stuff. But I definitely enjoyed Queensland the most of the places I visited in Australia. Yeah. And I would li- I had a lot of people coming up to me being like, why, why did you come here? Like tourists don't come here. I'm like, why not? This is, <laughs> this place is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you spend enough time in uh, like in California, I think going to say the Gold Coast or even Australia as a whole is like can't be that interesting because it's so similar in so many ways, right? I guess I didn't expect it to be that similar. And then when I got there, I was like, yeah, this like the weather is the same. <laughs> Everyone's pretty laid back and chill. But um, I don't know. Yeah. I really I really liked it. I, I could see myself there. There are some weird things about Australia, which I think we'll get into, especially like like the drinking mm-hmm. culture and, and those things. But overall, uh, yeah, Australia is cool. Well, it's a long way to fly to like when I was there, I spent all the time uh, in California out to see my sister. But when I go out there, I go to like uh, San Diego, Pacific Beach kind of area. And when I was in Gold Coast, I'm like, oh, this is like Pacific Beach. Yeah, I think very Cali- people in California th- think it's more like Florida, but people from Florida think it's more like California. Uh, well, they they had alluded to um, how some of the people are there that reminded me more of Florida. <laughs> oh, OK. So it's like Florida. I get it now. It's Floridians <laughs> in Southern California. Yeah, there you Got go. it. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. And then when I was in Sydney, I was like, this is sort of like people from Manchester in a, in Australia. Yeah, like, totally. In, in, in Manchester, when you walk around Manchester, UK, everyone's got a black eye. Like one in two guys <laughs> have a black eye. And there's fights everywhere. It's just fist fight. People just go outside and fist fight. Yeah. And so when we'll I was get in into Sydney, that too. They actually used to have yeah. a lot of like bar fights and, and problems at Sydney. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I was I was at a pub and um these two older guys next to me were talking and, and this guy called the girl a Sheila. And I was like, what? So I had to look up what a Sheila was. And it just means it's like oh, what older guys like call women in Australia, but like no one says it anymore. It was just like, oh, okay. just, you know, All those right. weird little words where you're kind of like, well, what is going on here? <laughs> Are you Welcome speaking English? I'm not sure. Welcome to the Outback. <laughs> so Derek, you mentioned little hop uh, on your trip. Were these drives or flights? Given it's an idea of the geography for those that aren't, don't know the Australian map. The original plan was to fly to Sydney, drive all the way up to Queensland. And then I realized Mm -hmm. it's like a nine hour drive up to Gold Coast. And that just seemed a little too far. So I actually ended up flying to Brisbane and between Brisbane, Byron Bay and like Queensland, they're all like less than two hours apart from each other. And actually traffic is pretty Mm -hmm. horrible there. Um, There's not a lot of roads. um, So everyone's kind of forced onto the the main thoroughfares and traffic was pretty bad. Um, When I went from... Black Ops 2, where I did the, the interview with Nathan that we're about to hear, to Black Ops uh, HQ, the original one, it's like, I don't know, 15, 20 miles, and it took almost an hour to get there. So yeah, distance-wise, the things aren't that far apart, but they, they do have some pretty gnarly traffic there. Well, I'm excited to hear this interview. Nathan's new to the team. I think he represents the maturing of the business, which I'm super excited to see and learn a little bit more about what's been going on. It's been five or six years since I went down there. Seven years, 2016. I looked it up. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, I had a blast when I was down there. I was working as a bartender for the week and just hanging out on the premises was super fun. So I'm excited to hear about this, learn more about what they've been up to and also hear about your experience there, especially after the interview. I think you were able to check out and see a lot more. So we'll we'll get into that in the outro. And let's just set this up really quick before we get in the interview too. A good companion episode of this is iLab 6. That's how long ago it was, Sam. It was episode 6. Wow. OG. So it was June of 2016. Do you want to explain quick uh, who you talked to then? Because it's pertinent, I think, to how we get to 
talking to Nathan in 2023. Yeah. And for any of the newer listeners to iLab, I mean, go back. We always say where people are like, where to start? It's like start as early as possible. The first 10, the first 20, first 50 episodes, because those are kind of those are the OG episodes. But in those, we were digging deep on our deepest questions about fundamental investing and trying to explore the full range of, of assets and, and opportunities available to us. So that that episode number six was with one of the original founders, Dan Norris. You know, Black Ops was just getting going, but it was also it was also already a very exciting business. They had a really good brand that was emerging quickly um, and great traction. So when you went down there, like the energy was was super hot um, and really, really exciting. Yeah. So that takes us to a transition period about six months ago. Nathan Hyde has taken over as CEO. So I was able to actually go on site, which was really fun. Uh, check out the whole brewery. I'm going to post videos and uh, beer tastings, of course. Too, which we got into after the interview. But first, let's hear from new CEO of Black Ops, Nathan Hyde. Hey, bosses, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. The show will be right back. This episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at Web Street. In fact, you probably just heard them on a recent episode of Invest Like a Boss. It's number 277. We talked to Kyle, their operations manager, and he had teased us that they have a new fund on the way. Well, the time is now. Fund number six has just launched at Web Street, and they're doing things a little bit different this time. As you may recall, WebStreet's previous fund offerings bought and operated cash-flowing websites. Well, they're not getting away from that. They're still doing that, but now they've included software-as-a-service businesses as well. Now, these companies may not make headlines like OpenAI or Tesla, but they're vetted, profitable, spin off lots of cash, and make for great passive investments. And in fund number six, the capital will be spread across a basket of businesses. That means there is no single point of failure and you reduce your risk. And like I said, software as a service is now part of the strategy as well. I know we've had a lot of iLab bosses invest in previous rounds of these funds and they do sell out fast. So you're going to want to head over to webstreet.co to get all the information. You can sign up for a quick free account. It takes about 30 seconds and you'll get all the information you need to know before you invest. One more time, that's webstreet.co, webstreet.co. I'm on location in Australia. I flew down here. I started in Sydney. I ran the marathon. And I was like, wait a minute. Sam invested a beer company in Australia. I didn't take advantage of this. I'm at Black Ops Brewing. This is a Black Ops 2. It's their second location, kind of the main brewing facility. We are just outside uh, Gold Coast, Bagheera Waters, I believe it is called. And I'm here with the newly appointed CEO. Nathan Hyde, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, Derek. So tell me about yourself, Nathan. You're new to the company. Sam Warby. He said, watch out for this guy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, Sam, Sam had nothing but praise for you. How did you end up over here at Black Ops? Oh, well, um, I decided my previous role, I was chief executive at Yarra Valley Dairy in Melbourne. And I vowed I was not going to spend another winter in, in the southern states. And uh, I was going to move to Queensland anyway. Up to craft beer, I had a a foray many years ago at Little World Beverages or Little Creatures before they sold to Lion, which is uh, Kieran. This particular role came up, Derek, and I thought, 
I'm going to put my hand up for it. And um, I was one of 300 and got selected. So it's got to be more exciting than the dairy business, I would think. Well, it was cheese. Okay. Well, well right. Yeah, That's which, you know, good too. <laughs> I, I, I've ticked all the boxes of passion, right? So when it comes to, you know, coffee, chocolate, wine, and uh, and, and beer. So uh, this is my second entry back into beer. Very cool. And uh, what attracts you to the beer business? It sounds like we had a little conversation beforehand here. There's, there's a lot of difficulties with the government. I almost... I want to say restricting beer sales almost. I mean, not to the point where it's banned, but to the point it's it's, it's a little more unattainable than you would think. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, it is difficult. Um, what attracted me uh, in particular to this business was strength of brand and craft beer. So for me, I've worked out that I have to be working with brands that I can and you know firmly entrench myself in and have values and a base and people that believe in what we do. So for me, this was uh, a company where I, I knew I could attain that. And as far as the government goes with, with Excise, they stifle the, the whole beer industry and spirit industry. And um, I mentioned to you earlier that the wine industry, they haven't changed their taxes in, in probably the best part of 30 years. Yeah, so I've been in Australia a really short period of time now, just over, I think about um, nine or 10 days at this point. And I've noticed a lot of differences from there in the US. So I think we should we should jump into the beer and alcohol business, the status sure. of it in Australia, and then we'll jump into Black Hops itself. Yeah. So I've noticed a lot of differences. Like I said, you just mentioned one that I just noticed that I wasn't aware of until just a few moments ago. Yeah. Wine is actually pretty affordable here in Australia, but I noticed other things, especially spirits, uh, I'd probably say next affordable is beer, although it is yeah. a lot more expensive than the United States. And then after that, we're talking anything with, with uh, liquor, very, very expensive. Uh, can you kind of break down uh, why this is the case and how, why the prices vary so much? Yeah, absolutely. So the wine industry works off what they uh, call a wine equalization tax in Australia. So that's capped at 29% of the wholesale value. When it comes to beer, it's done on percentage of alcohol. So the higher your alcohol beers are, the higher the excise tax is. Is that why I'm seeing lower percentages in beers than I would see in the US? I think around four, maybe four to four and a half percent is considered a strong beer, which it very much would not be a strong beer in the US. No, not at all. I mean, and, and we're seeing a trend here. I mean, we do a double IPA here at Black Hops called Super Hornet, and that's 8.7% ABV. And that's going to retail on shelf at around about 32 Australian dollars. Wow. So that's per... For a four pack of 375 mil cans. Wow. Okay. Right. <laughs> so that's because the taxes are so high. So uh, that being the case, that you'll find a lot of the younger generation will turn around and purchase that because bang for buck at 8.7%, you've got pretty much two standard drinks every can. That makes sense. So even... Yeah, you're getting less, but you're essentially getting more at the same time. And hopefully, you know, a great flavor and things of that matter and just a great beer in general. Absolutely. Um, I've noticed, yeah, I guess the lower percentages of those all loggers out there kind of, I guess, you know, to a sophisticated beer drinker, it's not very interesting beer that you see in the stores. Yeah, lager. Um, look, you know, lager in Australia is growing. It's making a bit of a comeback. So the only growth categories at the moment in, in craft are lager and hazy beers. So fortunately, Black Hops does um, really good hazy beers. We've got quite a number of them. So we'll take you through those a bit later on so you can have a try of them all. But lager is really growing. So people are coming back to that in terms of more sessionable beers. And the younger people now are trying to work their way back into craft beer. So the Gen Z, um, the, both of our major trading partners, uh, the duopoly of the supermarkets in terms of Coles and what Walls Woolworths, now Endeavour Drinks Group. Yeah, I went to a Coles and I think they have a Liquorland, is That's it? That's it, yeah. yeah so. Liquorland Vintage Seller's First Choice. Um, Endeavour Drinks Group, Dan Murphy's BWS. So it sounds like there's, yeah, essentially a duopoly or a lot of, I, I guess the liquor stores are a little bit different the way they work here. It kind of seems like they're tied to like a major brand or they're really small specialty 
stores. There's really no in between, I guess. Correct. It's um, say Queensland. It's a very strange licensing law, right? So you've got to own a pub, and then off that pub, you can have three detached bottle shops within a certain radius. Okay. So anywhere else in Australia, you don't need that. You can just go for a license. So in Victoria, same thing. You can just uh, apply to be at a bottle shop or have a bottle shop. New yeah. South Wales is the same. So Queensland's rather different. So both Coles and uh, Endeavour Drinks Group owned a lot of pubs so that they could get ah, bottle very shops. smart. Okay. Very smart. So, and now they've gone into partnerships with companies to sell back those pups. So you're mentioning that uh, a Gen Z is into the a lot of the hoppy beers and things in craft beer, um, the whole culture of that. I, I think we saw that in comparison to the United States maybe 10 years ago. Mm. Everyone got into craft beer. It was the big thing. And then I want to say four or five years ago, seltzers hit the market. Yep. So I haven't seen a lot of seltzers here, or if I have, they're very, very expensive. I think I saw some White Claws here. Yeah. First of all, lower percentage of alcohol than the US and uh, twice the price. So yeah. is it just um, culturally, it's not a thing here, or is it just the cost uh, barrier? Um, what have you seen with seltzers? I think you guys have dabbled in seltzers as well. Yeah, look, a long time ago, but um, that takes away from the core business, Derek. So, you know, reality is the, the Gen Z drinker, we're trying to bring them back into craft. So to do that, it, it, you know, we're talking about that that gateway entry back in. So, you know, the bottom of the triangle. We want to bring them back in, get them used to drinking good beer again. And that way they'll progress through, the, you know, all the different styles and, you know, the IPAs and the double IPAs. And, you know, their taste will change. It's, you know, same in the wine industry as a young person. You want something a bit sweeter, easier drinking. And then you work your way up into the, you know, the, the better styles. So it's the same for beer, really. So the seltzers have not come and gone, but um, the impact was huge. Like, you know, couldn't get enough White Claw when, mm-hmm. it, when it came in here. You know, now we're finding out that, you know, that whole market is in, not in decline, but it's it's gone backwards and he's going backwards. But I think, so I think in the US, so many hit the market at once and then we start drinking them and we're like, this doesn't even taste good. Why am I drinking this? So, no. um, and now they've used ones with like real uh, liquor and things like that and they are more expensive. But I, once again, if you're running into those liquor laws here in Australia, I think the, the cost barrier is out of it. So I could see where people want to jump back into beer. Is that the reason for these uh, tap rooms? Are you educating your customers when they come in on... I, I would tell you before the craft beer scene hit, I, I, I don't even know what IPA stood for. Now, I, I, have a, I have a decent idea of beer, but it's all from learning and tasting different beers. And I assume you need to teach this younger generation who's just starting off drinking beer. Absolutely. I mean, look, our tap rooms are a great marketing piece. You know, it's really good to get people in here. We can educate them. Our staff are terrific, you know, in all of our tap rooms. So they're, they're highly educated. We run sensory sessions every week. So we've got our quality assurance specialist and he'll run the team through it, including the brewers and what they should be looking for in terms of faults in beers or styles or, you know, all sorts of different flavors. I should bring that up too. I talked to um, Bill who, um, who gave me a nice tour of the facility. He went through your uh, sensory process, which is really interesting. We couldn't even go in the room to see people because he didn't want to disturb them and change their their opinions on a beer, which is very cool. Sounds like every employee here has to go through, basically test all the beers, what they think of them and are they up to brand, uh, things of that matter. Can you explain the reasoning for that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's really about our team understanding beer styles and beer faults and, and whether or not you know, it's important for us that we have consistency of product that goes out all the time. Mm-hmm. So we, we need people that can sign off on that. We need education and it shouldn't just be the same people all the time doing it. So I think that's so important. There's so many people I talk to that work for 
you know, name the company, whatever it is, and you ask them what the company actually does, some of them don't even tell you exactly what the company does. So essentially, every person you hire is going to be a beer expert very quickly. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, we, we run them through that process as soon as, you know, it's part of the initiation, the induction process. You know, we're, we're pretty we're pretty good here when we bring people in. We want them to have a good understanding of culture, values, the mission of the business and then the beers that we make. So, you know, we, we think that we make really, really good beer, but so does everyone else. But what makes us, I think, probably stand out from the crowd is the fact that we go to so much effort to make sure that every batch is consistent and we're improving all the time. So Yeah, if you're listening to this, I'm actually going to post a video of the process that they go to make the beer and not only that test it retest it test it again very interesting and it's, it's a lot more complicated than i thought and actually very scientific base very scientific in fact uh, when we finish this i'll take you down and introduce you to to biff who's a qa specialist he runs a sensory program i'll have to drag you out after about an hour yeah that sounds like a dream job for one but <laughs> well i mean the poor guy lives in northern new south wales he's got a drive for oh, an yeah. i just took that drive so <laughs> all right a couple more things i I want to uh, touch on uh, the government's uh, interference in the alcohol industry here. First of all, when I was down in Sydney, which is just south of here, if you're listening, uh, quite a way south, a different state, but I think they had them up here too. They're, they've mostly disappeared, I believe, but uh, could you explain to our audience what lockout laws were? Yeah, sure. Um, so essentially, if you weren't in a pub or a venue by a certain time, you weren't allowed to go in there. That's so, interesting. They wouldn't even let you in the door past a certain time. No. But if you were inside, you could still order drinks. You could stay. The whole, the whole theory and process behind it was uh, about um, lowering chances of violence in certain areas within mainly New South Wales, so King's Cross, which is quite well known for, you know, uh, bar brawls. And, and, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a big party district. So that was introduced as a, a, a form of safety, but it backfired and doesn't work and hasn't changed anything. So uh, now that I think they've reverted and are reverting. So I actually know the guy that um, heads heads that up in, in New South Wales and uh, I could see why he would want that changed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that it's, it's kind of maybe a backlash that we're seeing in the United States that I'm sure you did here as well, because during COVID lockdowns, Australia was a lot more extreme than, than even the US. And there was an extreme backlash that people uh, wanted to go back out they want to drink, they want to travel, they just want to get back to their normal lives. And I assume that happened here as well, too. So I know you weren't uh, at Black Ops during the COVID lockdowns, but how did it affect the business? And what have you seen since things have opened back up? Uh, look, I mean, during that period, fantastic for sales in every avenue. I mean, uh, the business I was running before, essential food services, flying off the shelves, online orders, supermarkets did well. We all became stay-at-home alcoholics because <laughs> there was really nothing else to do. Right. Including myself, I used to order a lot of wine and stuff online. But essentially, people had to make do and, you know, entertaining themselves and having dinner parties and, you know, having just family time, essentially. I mean, I came from Melbourne where the worst lockdowns in the world were. Mm-hmm. So um, I was lucky because I was in food production, I could actually leave my home. Consider so, essential, I guess, is what we call them in the US. But I think the essential labeling was pretty fast and loose in the US. <laughs> well, I must admit, I think in the, in the whole two years, I got pulled over once by, by the army on the way okay. out to the dairy. And that was because I took a different route because the other one was flooded. But really, I mean, it was every business prospered during that period. And I think we all thought that it never would. Mm-hmm. I think we all thought it was just doom. And, uh, you know, the business that I was running prior to this did very well in, in that, that period. 
this business did exceptionally well in that period. And and that's where a lot of decisions were made, which I'll, I'll talk through later on in terms of expansion for Black Ops as a business. So initially when Black Ops first started, I want to say we had one of the co-founders on the show in 2016. Sam had actually talked to him in person when your first room had opened, which I'm going to visit later today too, and I'll report back on that after this interview. How has how has it expanded since that? I guess seven years ago now, from that very first room, what have you grown into now? What's what's the scope of it? How many facilities, employees, uh, sales numbers? Things sure, matter. sure. And um, look, I mean, the three founders did an exceptional job in in developing this brand and and getting it to market. The business grew exponentially, and I think with that, you're not only growing pains, but also relationships and direction of business, and so on and so forth. And I think when a business gets to that stage, certainly, you know, my experience and having consulted to businesses in the past. Mm-hmm. Literally, when a business gets to a certain size, you really need the expertise to start coming in and to help out. It sounds like some of the the higher ups kind of wanted to control a lot of things when it's it's impossible to control when you get to a certain point. Exactly right. And having that experience, you know, in in leading a business, I mean, a business of this size, you know, uh, good revenue generating around about 2.7 million liters of beer per year in in sales and and leading a team of of 80 staff across three different uh, venues. So we have HQ, which was where it all started. That's where you go in this afternoon. Um, beautiful beach suburb on the Gold Coast called Burley. So you head down there and meet the team. Great feel, great vibe. You can see why it was highly successful. Mm-hmm. Then the facility here was developed. You had a good look around and you saw a, you know, the best canning line that you've ever seen. Very impressive. Yes. I didn't get to see it turned on. I wanted to flip the switch, but they won't let me. So, <laughs> so moving to this site really gave the business that opportunity to expand and 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 meet that market demand but the market demand was based on how the business was doubling year on year on year right through until COVID. Mm -hmm. and then of course when things changed retailers their sales started declining the craft beer market itself right now is in decline not for long i don't think but it's in decline in australia which is which is a real shame and part of that may be pricing pressures and and people going back to commercial brands um you know because they're a little lower in price and and you know consumers getting bang for buck inflation here has been pretty high and, and mortgage rates have shifted a lot so you know we've had cheap money for a long time and now all of a sudden people are paying five six percent interest rates yeah so it's it's changed the dynamic as you know it's the same around the world um it seems that we've got inflation under control now and people are, are going back out but not as much as they used to i mean i'd say that uh, we were quite privileged in australia where you know the dynamic was that you would eat out many times a week and go out for breakfast and have lunch and go out for dinner and you didn't care about spending twenty twenty five dollars on a four pack of craft beer sure. it was okay yeah whereas now it's sort of tightened up a little bit and we've noticed a, a contraction in in sales but you know we're also changing our strategy in terms of what we do and who we sell to and where we place product so so currently uh what percentage of black ops beer is consumed inside a bar and what uh what percentage is is takeaway at home our business right now is around about a 70 30 split so we call it on and off premise so you've got on premise which is hotels bars restaurants uh and then we've got off premise which is bottle shops and and our major trading partners so 70 was that on premise no, no, 70 off. Okay, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> that would be incredible. I, I would. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, spreading spreading risk is part of what we want to do into the future. So, you know, part of our expansion will be to look at other avenues for, you know, how we look after this business 
but without moving away from the people that we do deal with right now. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned some uh, uh, people kind of moving back into the bigger brands. I'm not super familiar with the with the big brands here, but I can can kind of eye them out when I go out. Like this branding or whatever it may be, you yeah. can tell is the bigger brand. And I know the way it works in the United States, let's say in Anheuser-Busch or uh, Accours, they have reps that go around to these bars and they, they pressure a lot of these bars to feature their beers and they give them incentive to to have their beers over the small guys, or a lot of times the bigger brands will just buy out these small guys just to get rid of competitors. Um, is that kind of the same thing you see here? Is, is it harder to get space into a, a bar? Yeah, indeed. I mean, um, there's just actually been an inquiry at a government led by Dr. Tim Cooper, who heads up the Cooper's business, which is Australia's largest independent brewery based out of Adelaide. The complaint has been that the, the two giants, which is Kieran, and um, Asahi, so okay, CB yep. and, and Lion, um, as they're, they're known locally. So they're both the CEOs of those companies have been brought up in front of the commission. They deny. Interesting. They oh, deny. Of <laughs> you know, so we want 80% of the tap points. There's still some free tap points. I feel like you talk to any bar owner, they, they would say the opposite. Exactly. Maybe not on record, though. <laughs> but the way they structure and do business is different. So for us, we will sell a beer based on you know value and try and make some profit and, and derive value for the outlet that we're selling to, make sure that the brand matches their ethos and their audience so that the, the product's gonna sell through. That's something kind of new that we've taken on in, in our approach. What we don't do, and the big boys do, is offer a rebate. So the keg price will be a lot higher, mm-hmm. but then they will deal back in terms of cents per liter, or they will pay for your tap points or merchandise or all sorts of things. Sure to try and lock in all of those taps. And I think as the market shifts, uh, we're starting to see the consumer actually asking for more craft beer behind the bar, which is great because essentially that, that really helps companies like us. And are these are these deals in place at, at different bars or chains or wherever it may be? Are they contracted in, or can can a can a pub just one day say, "I don't want to carry black ops anymore"? Yeah, look, um, we don't contract in. We can do. Um, you know, if if somebody wants something from us in terms of paying for a tap point for them, we will ask for a contract in return. It might be a, a, an agreed period or a, an agreed volume. You know, because that's a an out lay of, of anywhere between three and five thousand dollars for a tap point mm-hmm. so we want to make sure that we we get a return on that of course for sure so we will do a contract for that but generally speaking it literally is a fight to get tap points out there in in the market yeah i can only imagine especially with all the competitors out there one thing i wanted to get into sam had told me that you're new to the company i think you started back in and february of this year we're recording this in september so You've had just over uh, half a year to kind of get the lay of the land, how things work. So far, I must say everyone's in a good mood. That's always a good sign. <laughs> Glad to hear that. <laughs> but it sounds like you, you you walked into a tough situation. I think uh, one, maybe even two of the, the original three co-founders are no longer with the company. Sam was an early investor. He's he's definitely going to speak more to it in this show of his involvement with the company. He's, he's very hands-off, but he obviously has a, a financial position in the company. Yep. How, do, uh, how do you walk into a situation where... You're the head of essentially someone else's company. Look, I, I thought about this long and hard, and certainly when I was coming into it, you know, I spoke to um, Dan Norris and and um, and Eddie Oldfield, who were two that were in the business. Michael Govs McGovern, you might actually meet in this afternoon. He's renowned for having a beer at Burley in the, in the afternoons. <laughs> Hopefully, you will. Govs is, is larger than life. I'll give him a ring to see if he's there for you. Looking forward to it. 
Gubbs is now back in the business. So we've brought him back in on a day a week. Dan Norris has exited the business. And I think in part, that is because of me coming in. It, it, it was a case of where is Dan going to sit mm-hmm. in terms of the business. It's very hard for some people when they've led a business to move away. Yeah, I understand that. Um, it totally makes sense. <laughs> I, and I was, prepared, I was prepared to work with it, but we came to an agreement that um, Dan would exit mm-hmm. and I would, I would take over and um, have the opportunity to do that. So I work with Eddie. Eddie's full-time in the business and I work with Govs. Both of them are great. We had a, an investor day here around about a month ago and, um, you know, Govs was back and literally when I announced that he was back, the, you know, the, the audience would... The crowd was, roared. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it was unreal. Rockstar uh, welcome for him back into the business. So And so I assume uh, with your experience, you came um, so working in the kind of the food and beverage business that you, you kind of had a, a template of how you want things to run. What kind of changes have you, have you brought or what, what, what essentially got you the job to, for them to say, this is our guy? Um, a number of things. One of the things I work very hard on, Derek, is, is making sure that culture within a business is remedied yeah, it's very important yeah because it's it's the people essentially that are going to make this business turn around it's not just one person so i had to shift a lot of the culture there was a i, I would suggest a lack of trust within the business which was really unfortunate departments were fragmented running different directions making their own decisions not getting a lot of guidance so to come into that business and then to work with my direct reports and say to them Let's be inclusive, you know. Why are so many of your staff unhappy? Why are so many of them demanding pay rises? Why are so many of them leaving? So we were really hard on shifting culture and it was about changing that direction of business and working on a strategic play that would bring everyone along for the ride. So that was the most important thing. Yeah, I will say, I was, like I said, I've only been here uh, an hour and a half. But everyone's been happy and in a good mood. A couple camera shy people, I will say that. But um, other than that, people seem to respect you, which is always good. And you get a vibe when you go into, into certain companies. I, I've I've worked in bad ones. I've worked in good ones. I've walked blindly into bad and good ones. And you can tell right away. And and there's a there's a lot of I don't know, I don't know how to put it, but you can, it's it's a sense. And you walk in, you can usually tell it immediately. And I get some good feelings here. No, thank you for that. Um, I mean, it was interesting last night. I, I stood at the tap room here and had a beer before going home, and our um, a venue manager here who oversees all of the tap rooms, Emma. Terrific lady, you'll meet her. And she said, everything has shifted since you've been here. It's now gone back to a place that's fun, but we know what we're doing and we know what we've got to achieve. That's like the perfect balance. I mean, you're working in a fun business for one. You're working in the beer business. And then to, to have a job that you hate going to, but you go, wait, you make beer. Mm. <laughs> it shouldn't be like that. Yeah. Well, our HR manager, he turned around and said, you know, what can go wrong? You work in a brewery, you know, like every yeah. day. You're just, uh, you're lucky. And it's true. And But again, I'll harp back to the fact that there's great people here that love this brand. So that investor day I was talking about, 170 people turn up. If I reckon three quarters of the audience is wearing some form of Black Ops, you know, T-shirt or cam. You guys saved one for me too. Yeah, we got one. (laughs) We got one. We'll we'll send one for Sam as well. But um, the second part of the equation literally was about our operating expenditure was way too high. Mm -hmm. How do we get those costs down without removing people out of the business. One thing when you shift culture is it has a way of, of, of probably separating people that don't want to come along for the ride. Right, yeah. So essentially they'll make the decision if they can't break that bond, they'll leave the business. That happened Yep. a lot. 
It needs to happen though too. It yeah. needs to happen, exactly right. And so we didn't replace a lot of those people. So that was cost recovery. So instead of layoffs, you're doing attrition. Yeah. And then we, you know, we had to cut costs elsewhere. So we had a lot of storage rooms on this property. So we handed a few of them back. We went to tender on, you know, insurance for us is huge and very expensive. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> so we did all of that. And, you know, in this short period, we've managed to find around about 1.5 million AUD in savings without removing a single person. Great. So let's jump into that, I guess. Uh, we don't need to get deep into the numbers, but it sounds like Black Ops was on a, on a good track for, for quite a few years. Craft beer business was growing. And uh, like you said, the whole industry has kind of been in decline and that especially hit Black Ops. So kind of, I guess, break down. I think I looked at some 2021 numbers, um, at least since then. In 2022, you've been operating at a loss. Correct. Yeah. So what, what in terms of the market, I guess the only thing I could think of was COVID, but you said that sales went through the roof during COVID. So uh, what do you kind of attribute to going from profitability to a loss? So F21 was profitable. F22 loss, F23 loss, F24, we've got a hit break even point. That's the year that we're in. So that's the plan that's being put forward to shareholders during that period. So as an example, during financial year 21, when sales were going nuts and COVID and everything else, the business invested in the $3.5 million canning line Okay. Which, it's a beautiful piece. Yeah. Which, <laughs> but I had the, the former MD of, of Lion here some time back to just pop in and have a beer and say, g'day. I showed it to him and his exact words were, I wouldn't put something that big in at Tui's. Yeah, you know, just a little overkill, huh? <laughs> so, you know, if I had been here at that point in time, would we have spent that money? Absolutely not. We would have bought something more in line with the business, not spent as much. We did a crowdfunding raise for part of that. We were supposed to also build a, a distillery and, and uh, you know, have another one of the sheds turned into... So it kind of seems like things were good and, and, and it... I guess the vision was things will never get bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we anticipated that the business was going to keep growing and growing and growing, which was fair enough at that point. But long term, I think if the boys had had mentoring or a board structure that was one that would have tested and challenged them and sure. said, hey, guys, do we really need to drop that amount of money on a canning line? Because costs just kept blowing out and out and out. So that was that was one factor. And then all of a sudden, you know, on-premise restaurants, hotels, all that sort of stuff reopened, but it was gently, gently. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden you started to see the declines in retail sales. So it was- so You don't it, need the canning line as much. <laughs> and operation, uh, operating expenditure was doing that. Yeah. So raw material inputs, huge increases, wage inputs, huge increases in a six year period because the company always wanted to be a leader and deemed to be really entrenched in working with the trade in a six year period, didn't put the prices up once yeah and if so, inflation that we're seeing i was just thinking now you know your barley your hops and things of that matter those had to go through the roof i would think yeah pricing so that obviously affects your margin and the prices was there a reason that the prices were remaining stable was it just out of sense of pride or i don't know the answer to that Derek, yeah. but it was the wrong decision because sure. in australia you have um cpi price rises so consumer price indexes twice a year mm -hmm. so the government usually will increase the excise tax on all alcohol twice a year. Wow, okay. That gives you the opportunity to pass on the CPI increase. Which I assume the big the big brewers and, and most other uh, breweries do. Yeah, twice a year, every year, without fail. So 
unfortunately, when I came into the business and I'm looking at these losses and we're looking at cash and what's in the business, I had to make the decision there and then to go to both of our major trading partners and shift the price points significantly. Mm-hmm. And they were both fantastic in allowing the business to go ahead with that. Now, I don't know if that's had a, an immediate, infect, uh, immediate effect in terms of sales volumes or it's just the market, but certainly we've seen a, a, a dip in volume, but we had to move those prices. Yeah, I'd rather sacrifice volume in return for trying to make a profit. That makes sense. So, you know, we had to get to a stage where we ran the business accordingly. So, as I said, I mean, both our major trading partners and, and all of the independents that we deal with were pretty gracious in accepting. And we did that out of sequence for CPRI. So, generally, major trading partners won't accept it out, outside of CPI terms for both of them did. And everyone else was pretty gracious too. So, uh, we were lucky. We, we were lucky, but we had to do that. To- so yeah, you did it. Uh, instead of waiting for the next six month period, you just went straight to it. Yeah. So speaking of, you brought up, a, you got investor day here recently. Black Ops is very interesting in it, in its investor uh, structure, which I actually, I'm not even really sure in it. That's very odd, Derek. I know it was crowdfunded at least one or two rounds. And then we have people like Sam, who was an early investor. What's the structure of this company? Because I can't figure it out. Okay. <laughs> Good question. So there's 50 original shareholders and Sam is one of those and uh, the three founders um, who are still shareholders uh, and a number of others that came along for the ride early on in the piece. And then the crowdfunding was, I think the list is around about 14 or 1500. Oh wow, okay. So crowdfunding in this country, you can invest as low as $250 right through to as much as you want. Sure. Um, I assume most of them are on the lower end of that 250. A lot of them, yeah. yeah. But there were a number of people that put good money in as well. It's a fun mm. story at parties. I own a piece of a brewery, so exactly, <laughs> exactly right. We, we've actually we featured a lot of crowdfunding campaigns uh, past on the show, and it's you know even if it's going to turn out to nothing, sometimes you're just like it's a fun story to tell. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And look, the business was valued at that point at I think it was sixty-seven million. Mm-hmm. So which was forecast around about four times revenue at that point in time okay so the valuation you know given what bolter brewing and uh, you know what stone and wood sold for probably a a fair assumption but that was during a really good period right yeah so the last round was 2021 for crowdfunding yeah right yeah through virtual yeah yeah so um the boys got i mean it sold out in 24 hours you know all of a sudden 2.6 million dollars there you go yeah off you go canning line let's let's go which you probably would have done given that the business was was growing in mm-hmm. you know enormously so again I, I i come back to the fact that would i've done that with those funds no and I, the first question i was asked at q a straight after the presentation was where's the distillery yeah because that was part of the presentation okay. and i had to be honest i had to say well look my priority at this point in time is keeping 80 people employed keeping mm-hmm. the beer brand going and turning the business around i said so what happens beyond that I don't know the answer to it. I'm not ruling out that we'll never have a distillery, but it's not a priority right now. So what were some of the most difficult questions you got from investors? Can you uh, release some of that? Yeah, <laughs> look, I, I, don't, I mean, the, the usual. Oh, I just said is this, you just had one, you know, a month ago or so, you said. So it's, it's on topic, I guess. And yeah. I'm sure you still remember a couple. Yeah, look, I mean, a, a lot of it is in, in terms. So, I, you know, I, sh- I shared strategy. So, you know, a certain level of detail in terms of what we're doing. So a lot of the questions were centered around 
around that and mm-hmm. export and you know different markets to develop and expansion of hospitality um you know more distribution points well we wind up with a national sales team all that sort of stuff that came up a lot um, there was a number of questions about uh, uh, obviously the the previous financial years losses and then the burning question for them all was how did the july numbers this year stack up and were they happy were they happy <laughs> look i knew what they were but i didn't i didn't elaborate on them but um in in essence Derek, the July result was better than we probably thought in mm-hmm. terms of sales were down, but so were costs. And, you know, the, the EBITDA was much better than we had anticipated. So, so is that, uh, I think you had mentioned that you should be at the break even point, I guess, 12 months from now. Correct. Is that, is the plan to stay on course? Is there, is there new alternative income sources you've found? Or uh, I guess, what's the next 12 months look like here at Black Ops? Sure. So, Part of, part of the expansion will be um, looking after our own venues, our own tap rooms. So where you're going this afternoon, we've had a kitchen installed there, producing great food. We've opened a, a, like a tapas wine bar, beer bar, you know, whole shooting match, which is called Haven. You'll see that this afternoon. That's right next door to HQ, which is the, the first brewery mm-hmm. and the bar there. And that food service is there as well. So... Part of the, the, the strategy is about retaining the income from food because we're having food trucks turn up. Sure. And you're watching them having $3,000 days. Yeah. And we're going, we don't get anything for this. Okay. So we're now doing it and looking after it. So that's the first one. We've got the food truck out here. At yeah, it's too. Yeah. So again, you know, the the income that's starting to come in from that, because the food out of there is terrific, mm-hmm. right? So the hospitality team in this business have done such a good job in, in, in turning that around. So Brisbane, that's the next one. Can we get a kitchen in there? Because like tonight's Thursday night, trivia night in Brisbane, it goes nuts. Yep. Every table is booked out. So- I actually used to host uh, a bar trivia in um, Hermosa Beach, California. And yeah, we would fill that place up every single night. So it's good fun. Cool. Right? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, the locals love to come down and, and, and try and win something. So, yeah. you know, for, for us, it's about retaining that income. And funnily enough, when you've got three venues all serving food, all of a sudden your revenue starts creeping up. And then you can create a standard and a brand to expand beyond that. So speaking of expansion, I don't think I can get Black Ops outside of Australia right now, can I? Uh, we're about to ship our first order to China. And we're expecting our first order for Hong Kong. Very cool. So very good. We're very happy about that. And then let's say five years from now. So a year from now, you're you're profitable again, uh, hopefully. And five years from now, where's Black Ops at? Where can I get it? Can I get it in California? Yeah. Do you know what? I actually, I, I want to take craft beer to the US. So we've got this hero product, which I'm going to show you after this. And it's called Stoke Dealer. And it's got the Cali Bear and the surfboard and the presentation is outstanding. It is a 4% alcohol by volume hazy lager. And it is unbelievable to drink. It suits a, a warm climate, surf culture, outdoors, it's lifestyle. Perfect. I see so many parallels in the lifestyle here, um, being in Australia to California. So, I mean, I think it's uh, anything that works here could probably work in California too. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something. If you can find me a venue in California where we can open a steak dealer based venue. So, Deus Ex Machina at Venice. Yeah, I, 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 I was just, something on that. I was just at the um, the one in Byron Bay here, and they had a, a the Venice Beach uh, Deus uh, hat, and I was like, I can't go anywhere without seeing Venice Beach. So yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, very yeah. cool, like culture vibe that would fit perfectly, especially in my neighborhood. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, look, I sent a really uh, cheeky um, 
email off to a real estate company in San Diego about the rowing club there because mm-hmm. it was up for lease and it, and it was a restaurant and yeah everything was set up there and I'm thinking wow that'd be good for a Stoke dealer venue yeah black hops but at this point in time we have to focus here so I want southeast Queensland saturated with black hops we're looking at opening uh, another hero tap room We've got to get into a venue that's 350 to 500 seats because that's when revenue really kicks in mm-hmm. and profit really kicks in. Yeah, it's a good size venue. So we need to do that. Plus, we want to, we do want to continue to expand distribution points around Australia. So we use distributors in New South Wales, Victoria, and the ACT. So we really want to concentrate on the Eastern Seaboard, which is you know over two thirds of the population for Australia. Black Ops in Queensland is really well known. So we've got a great opportunity to keep expanding that brand. But the theory now that we work with the sales team on is about making sure that our brand values align with a venue's values. So we don't want distribution points for the hell of it. We want mm-hmm. people that are going to sell three kegs of beer a week and we make them money and we make money in return. So it pulls through. We want the same when it comes to retail. You know, we want people to not just sell a four pack of beer you know, every couple of days, we're only selling cartons and cartons yeah. of beer. Getting it into the right areas and into the right mouths, essentially, brand in hand. So everywhere we've put this new Stoke dealer, it's gone nuts. So I think we, we just did the Crafted Festival down at uh, Broad Beach and it, Stoke dealer was the number two selling beer through an entire venue. You know, we're yeah. talking hundreds of vendors, So which was great. So the response is really good. And this is the product that... Our major trading partners, you know, when it comes to range review, they're saying to us, we want Gen Z to be drinking beer. How do we do it? Like, you know, what can you do for us to get them into the doors? Yeah, I think marketing and branding is huge. And I really like what you guys have here. Now, we had mentioned Black Ops is unique. that It is, is crowdfunded, uh, at least partially. And I know I'm excited about beer now, just from our conversation. I'm sure our listeners are as well. Is there any chance uh, that investors would be allowed to get in on future rounds once you get over these road bumps uh, financially? Indeed. Yeah, it's um, certainly... So the, the 50 original shareholders we've got, there will most likely be some space on that register moving forward and we can we can sell and extend more shares through that um we most likely won't do another round round of crowdfunding but we would prefer to have investors such as sam that you know believe in the business willing to invest you know sam's great you can have a chat with him he's he's hands off at the Mm -hmm. same time he's not He's not one of those guys that'll stand over the top of you. So it's the same with the rest of the investors too. Like, I've got to be honest, they're highly respectful. They're all letting me get on with doing my job. Yeah. So the short answer is yes. Um, We would welcome um, further investment in this business. All right, great. And obviously, if we have any updates on that, we'll we'll post it um, on the show or in the Boss Lounge. Fun question before we get out of here. I know it's like picking your favorite kid, but what's your favorite <laughs> beer right now? I And I can't believe I'm recording this without even trying one yet, but I will report back after the interview how the beers are. Sam told me, he's like, I think I might be a little biased, but they're the best beers in the world. So I think you got a lot, a lot to stand up to here. Right. Um, but currently, what what's your favorite brew here? Black well, Box? Firstly, Derek, Sam's right. <laughs> we make the best beers in Australia. I'm very biased, I must confess. Um, so from a, a, a commercial range perspective, or what we call our core range, our everyday, I love um, I love drinking the Stoke Dealer in terms of a lighter beer. But I, I drink this beer called Goat, you know, which is a... Pl- I saw that package in the, in the storage facility. Yeah. It's great. It's it, it means greatest <laughs> of all time. So it's a play on on, on words. We, actually, we need we need one of the Aussie cricketers to get hold of it because his nickname's Goat. Yeah, we got... Well, our version is Tom 
Tom Brady of that. So we, we probably need Tom Brady to pop it down of it. That'll I could blow it up all calls. That'll get us into the States real fast. But look, some of our limited releases are just unbelievable too. So you've seen my t-shirt, California Hay. Yeah. That was released yesterday. So you're going to try that beer. It's a 6.8% hazy ipa wow are you gonna charge me tax on that though i don't know well, we might, uh, well i i think uh, we'll, we'll give you yours oh you'll be okay and we'll we'll get a t-shirt for you but um yeah the goat love it and we've got some other limited releases too so code red i love which is a, a red ipa so if our, if any of our listeners out there if they're outside of australia can they can they order online is it possible to ship internationally i don't know the restrictions on shipping alcohol look you can yeah absolutely um the, the best part is it'll be cheaper because there's no excise and there's no goods and services tax well there you go maybe so i'll smuggle some back here it's an insane everybody some money <laughs> we'll, we'll send a container <laughs> um so where should our listeners go to check out more about black ops a website social media things of that matter yeah look uh we're on all channels um i'm not i'm really bad at that social media <laughs> side of things but um no, That's look, what he's got um, a team for, though. www.blackhops.com.au um, at Black Hops uh, Beer, I think, on Instagram and Facebook. And very easy to find. We've got a great marketing team, so updates um, lots and lots and lots. And obviously, we'll put all those links in the show notes for everybody to check out Black Hops and hopefully, if not even drink a beer, order a t-shirt, whatever you want to do. It's a, it's a really cool brand. Uh, Nathan, I thank you for your time. I see really positive things going on here in the future. Thank you, Derek. Love it. Thanks for the time. I just noticed you're sipping coffee. We're having a beer episode, man. I got I got a a catababa, a kata, katawaba. <laughs> Have you heard of this brand before? Katawaba, endless trail. I've never heard of that. No, it's a cool can though. Pilsner, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Honestly, boring. I'm drinking Starbucks. It's 9 a.m. where I am, Sam. But uh, oh, I thought oh, you were in like Barcelona. I was like, oh, it's a, it's about beer drinking time. Nope, it's noon. <laughs> Sam's getting after it. <laughs> you, get, you get after it pretty early here. You get out on the lake. You get out on the golf course, and you have a fresh one. Oh, I was jealous. I saw you post uh, up on the lake, and I, that's one thing about Southern California. It's awesome, but we don't have real lakes here. Lakes, uh, lakes over the ocean any day we don't have real lakes here either they're all man-made but oh they're awesome. that's boring <laughs> they look natural they look natural you never guess it everyone's always surprised when you say that lake is uh man-made it's cool though so i want to hear your honest honest opinion i don't want you to hold back at all how was the beer you know i won't hold back sam you actually called me the day before i went there and you're like i want to know i think these are the best beers i've ever had in my life and i was like all right this is this is just sam being a little hyperbolic over here honestly it's some of the best beers i've ever had <laughs> um and yeah. maybe maybe it was because of the environment i was in and um they were actually explaining it it's so much more fun when you know what you're drinking i could just mm -hmm. blindly go to a bar and order something and be like oh that's a good beer or whatever it may be but first of all you're getting it at the tap room it's the freshest beer possible it was literally made 30 feet away from me and secondly shout out to biff he was their um person who did all the the testing it's essentially his job is to taste beer all day and make mm -hmm. sure it tastes good uh awesome job <laughs> um he led us through he led nathan and i through a, a full beer flight tasting and a couple more after that <laughs> and um <laughs> everyone was like great usually like beers i wouldn't even normally drink like like ipas double ipas the hazy ones i'm actually repping uh black ops right now they're california haze i was like well i gotta try that oh, that's uh, a new one great beer uh stoke mm -hmm. uh was it stoke stoker stoke also haven't had that. Very good. That was like one of my favorite beers. I actually got that again when I went over to the Gold Coast location. Mm -hmm. And 
everything everything was great but it, it could have been the environment i was in again too like maybe independently yeah. just going to the liquor store and picking up a, a four pack that's all they have over there and um it might not have been the same but uh, honestly if you're going to experience a new beer like that that's the best place to do it in the tap room they can tell you exactly what you're drinking and it's going to be the best freshest you know most temperature climate controlled beer that you're going to have mm-hmm. Did you try the goat? Yes, the goat was, um, I think that was Nathan's favorite one. I'm like, all right, I got to try that one. (laughs) The best part was they go, um, just so you know, goat means greatest of all time. I was like, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I guess there's there's probably a significant amount of people that aren't into sports that are not really familiar with that term. I know it mostly because, you know, like it's it's common in sports now, but really the UFO. The UFC for me is what kind of put it forefront because everyone's like, who's who's the goat? Who's the goat? Who's the goat? Maybe. And I don't watch UFC that much more than any other sport, but they're always talking about the goat in UFC. Yeah. So NBA says a lot, you know, LeBron, maybe Jordan, Kobe, things like that. And then um, mm-hmm. NFL, uh, pretty much everyone is in agreement that it's Tom Brady. It's funny that you brought that up because in Australia, they have their own football, which is weird to me. And I have no idea what's going on. But in Brisbane, the playoffs were going on. And let me tell you, these footy fans know how to party. It was wild. And um, I can't <laughs> remember the fans. guy's name, but the, the Black Ops guys were like, how, you know, we we thought it'd be so cool if we got, um, you know, their, their Tom Brady uh, to hold the goat beer or whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, that'd yeah. be like if we had Tom Brady hold it. And they're like, oh, my God, if Tom Brady held it, blah, blah. I was like, that just proves <laughs> my point that American sports are better because I have no idea the guy you're talking about. And you guys all know who Tom Brady is. <laughs> I was giving them on, uh, crap, but it was it was pretty funny. It's Tom Brady, Captain yeah. America. <laughs> no, so that that's good to hear. I mean, I think my opinion is biased, but I I shared the same opinion when I was there. I thought everything from their like IPAs, their saisons, to their pale ales and pilsners. It was just like these are so crisp and sharp. And I wonder now also hearing this episode because this episode and the interview with Nathan really clued me into some some things that I was a little I would say fuzzy on or I didn't actually know, but regarding like excise tax and and the price of beers mm-hmm. in relation to other markets where like beers there are very expensive very so expensive. you have you have to make a damn good beer to sell it whereas in the u.s like i was at craft beer place yesterday and i'm going to another one today like the beers are can be four or five bucks right yeah so I, it's almost like you don't have to make as great of a beer even though you would want to make the best beer you know a lot of cost goes into the ingredients to make a really great delicious beer so I think in Australia that are kind of just forced to make better beers because the price, what they have to sell at is so high. I couldn't believe the price. And I think it's, it's kind of crazy that essentially wine was basically the same price I pay in California, you know, a cheap bottle of wine, maybe like $10, something like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, beer, like I said, mostly are sold in four packs or you could buy them individually. Just a, a regular size can of beer you know, for a cheap beer, maybe $3 US, but for a good beer, like a Black Ops beer, or per- actually I should say percentage-wise alcohol, most of the Black Ops ones are a little bit higher alcohol. You're, you're paying yeah. 5 to $6. This is in US dollars even US too, dollars. per beer, which is like insane to me because in the US, you know, a cheap beer could be $1 and a good beer, maybe up to $3 at the most. And it's like Mm -hmm. uh, to justify that price. Yeah. You have to have a good product because to spend that much money, I'm not going to drink a 
bad tasting beer. Right. And what did you see when you were there just like around like the drinking culture? Obviously, you're hanging out Black Ops, so everyone's drinking beer. But generally, like when we went to dinner and stuff, did you see a lot of people drinking beer? Was it more people drinking wine? It was mostly beer. I'd say next up was wine. And then lastly, it was actually like like mixed drinks because I think, like mm. you said, the the tax purposes like it just economically doesn't make sense to to drink liquor like it could be a hundred dollars for a, a bottle of vodka and it was like what is wow. going on here so wow very war, expensive war on spirits <laughs> yeah it, it was pretty wild actually compared to like the u.s though like ordering at a bar actually wasn't really any more expensive and the tipping culture that we have in the u.s isn't prevalent in in australia so especially after that mm it works out to the same or maybe even a little bit less to drink at a bar. Uh, the the real price shock I, I found was in the actual liquor stores and the takeaway business. And that was because uh, just the, the price compared to, say, the U.S. Yeah, it is two to three times the price, I would say, as the U.S. Wow. Are they doing... Are, are... <laughs> <laughs> What's a better system? I don't know. <laughs> we, just because... we just encourage boozing. Yeah. Well, well, Nathan had said that you know, everyone goes out all the time there, which makes sense. Or they did, you know, until very recently with inflation and everything. Like mm -hmm. he said, it wasn't uncommon to go out five, six nights a week and eat dinner somewhere and go have a drink out. Whereas you're doing that in California. It's, it's expensive. Yeah. I, I'll go out once or twice a week and it, it really adds up. Like you can, you can spend $200 in, in an hour or two and not even blink. So so it's like it really mm -hmm. adds up here, whereas it was more affordable to go out there. And now I think they're seeing a lot of price pressures and they're running into the same problems as the U.S., which I really found interesting. Uh, speaking of Queensland and, and how it was also like Florida, he said when I talked to uh, Emma on their team, she runs all the all the brew houses and the tap rooms. Mm -hmm. She had said that, you know, you can't touch a house in Queensland anymore for under a million AUD. So that's probably about, about 700,000 US, which is yeah. pretty expensive. She said that Queensland had like kind of the lightest lockdowns in 2020. Mm -hmm. So everyone that was trapped in Sydney, Melbourne and everything moved up there if they had the opportunity to and bought up all the houses. So it raised the house prices. Um, it reminded me a lot of the US where everybody moved to Florida so much, and you know doubled the house prices. So they're running into the same issues we had. So many parallels, so many parallels. While you were there, did you go to any other breweries or try any other beer outside of Black Ops? I did. I tried some of the, some of the major ones, um, some of the loggers mm -hmm. and um, you know, they were just, you know, equivalent to your Budweiser's, whatever it may be that we have here. Oh, you tried like Foster's or something. No, it was, I don't know, what it, whatever. <laughs> he was telling me the major brands and stuff. And then weirdly, Asahi was everywhere. Like they're drinking mm -hmm. that all over the place, which is weird. And then- um, Asahi's all over Asia Pacific as a whole. Yeah. Even, yeah. And then, yeah, some other like random brands. I tried, I like- I'm not like a huge beer drinker here because maybe I moved on to like the seltzers and like mixed drinks here. And I tried some of their like seltzers and stuff there and they're really bad. <laughs> so I see why they, why they drink beer, I guess. And it's like, if you're going to pay that price, might as well drink good beer. So what is the progression of alcohol drinking? It, go, it always starts at beer, right? It goes beer or spirits. Are, are you like saying when you, when you like first start drinking? In alternatives. And then you mm -hmm. end, you kind of, I think you gravitate towards wine as you get older. Well, whatever's but, cheap, I think, when you're young. I would have I would have yeah, drank anything I could point. get my hands on. When oh, I, you're, talking like, and you're talking like entry level, like <laughs> high school. <laughs> what can we get our hands on? Well, that's on? why you started. Then. Yeah, okay. <laughs> who, didn't, who didn't finish their, their drink that right, I can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drink the, the second half of it? <laughs> 
No, yeah, I guess I used to drink beer a lot, and I drink more wine now than I ever did. Maybe that's because some of, some of the influence of you is rubbing off too, because you, you're always talking about wine. So yeah, like, <laughs> well, it's 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 very environmental. I think my my choice, my go to is always red wine. But when I'm back here playing golf out on the boat, it's you're always drinking beer. Yeah, I went to I went to Wisconsin over the summer, and everyone's drinking beer over there. So I started drinking beer, and it, was, it mm-hmm. is is I guess culturally too where you're at. Oh God, Wisconsin has some amazing craft beers. I've had some of the best best ones in the U.S. or in Wisconsin and Wyoming. I think there's there's a bar for like per capita of like every like twenty three people or something like that. <laughs> That is a very impressive statistic that we should try to pair. Something like, like that. It's, there's, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Like there's the number of bars like per population is like out of yeah. control. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the ending of your trip after the interview. Did you go to other of the Black Ops locations? Did you meet Govs or anyone else on the team? I didn't get to meet Govs. Um, I was excited to meet him and I guess he just he just wasn't there. After Black Ops 2, which is where I did the interview, I uh, went over to the original Black Ops HQ where Sam did his interview at um, iLab 6, if you went back mm-hmm. and checked out that episode. So that's actually expanded too. They brought me next door. There's a new place called Haven. I think Nathan alluded to it in the interview that they're getting into the food business now too. So I guess what they were seeing was all these tap rooms had food trucks in them and they're, you know, they're making three, four grand a day. And they're like, we're not seeing any of that money, which I kind of thought it was interesting that they weren't charging these food trucks to be Mm -hmm. on site. They might've been, Mm -hmm. I I don't hundred percent know, but um, yeah, they're jumping into the food business and a really cool spot. They were still working out some of the kinks. It was literally the first week that they had food. I got yeah. to try a lot of different things. It was really good. And they're actually serving wine and uh, spirits in there as well. So it's a little different vibe. Nice. So the tap room, I think, closes at like like 6 or 7 p.m. I don't know, Australia has weird hours. Uh, they all, they, everything closes early. It sucks. <laughs> but yeah, no, I actually, I have a comment on that. My understanding is that this was, this could be outdated, but when I was there and they were closing at something like five o'clock. Yeah. And I was like, what? That's like bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. You're missing the... Or, or maybe it was a seven. I think o'clock. it's like seven. Like seven. Yeah. Seven. Well, now okay. at least. Yeah. And because you can only have as like a tap room selling alcohol, you can only have so many hours in the day open. Yeah, it's something. So have, there's a lot of weird things your, like that. You have to pick your hours carefully. <laughs> and originally, the idea was okay. We're gonna do like the the noon to like seven hour shift or seven p.m. shift, which you get all the lunchtime people and you get the after work people, right? Yep. Well, now intuitively, I'd be like, that's wrong. Like you should do. You should be covering the late the late night. But what it was, the, I, the original thought process was like, well, after 7 p.m. is when all the problems start happening. Because that's yeah. like when people are getting wasted. So, so I they, didn't see like, anybody rowdy there. Out. There was people, you, yes. you could tell where a few drinks in, but no one was really, really rowdy. Exactly. So. so they get, and then after Black Ops, a lot of them will continue on to another place. But mm-hmm. now they're already getting sloppy, right? Yeah. And so it's a, I think it's some type of calculation to like pay off the potential income versus the problems. But they, like when I was there, like we've literally never had any problems. We've had to like kick out one guy over the course of like two years or something. That's what I I get from a a lot of the bars here is they say, you know, a a huge expense for the bars is hiring security and you have to hire security. Mm. And Black Ops didn't have that, you know, and I think that's one of the things. And the theory, I think with that new restaurant Haven next door is, hey, the tap room closes at seven, but you can hop over here and get some food in you to calm down too. And they're open for another, you know, two hours after that that's cool I and mean, i think actually that's a good it's a really good brand play because people can go there they can feel safe they can feel in um almost more of like a professional laid back 
network. But if you do, if you're doing the late hours, you know, maybe every other time you go there, there, there could be some type of altercation or mm. problem or just somebody like barfing at the bar or whatever. <laughs> and it's like that unfortunately diminishes your brand. Totally. Um, Cause it makes people less, less comfortable to go there. And, and it really felt like there's a lot of locals that go there or a lot of regulars that, that hop mm -hmm. in there. So I think they, they've done a really good job of taking care of those people. Like people would walk in and the team from black ops would know who they were, know their name, you know, how so-and-so doing. And it's kind of that cool, like uh cheers vibe, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, this reminds me when I was in, uh, I was walking across Ireland going back a few years ago, Johnny took part in part of that trip. We walked from, from Dublin all the way to Galway, east coast to west coast, but we did kind of like a U shape. So it ended up taking almost a full month, like 29 wow. days. At, by the end of it, what we had this rule, like when we passed the pub, we had to stop and have a pint. Now, fortunately, <laughs> That's a lot of most, pub stopping. <laughs> fortunately, most days we're walking across like farms and small okay. villages. So you pass like two or three pubs in a day, right? And we stopped at all of them. And so your typical day, I'd have like two or three pints. But after like 30 days of Two, having two or three pints, I started feeling like, wow, this is like crazy. I got to stop. Mm -hmm. Right. And in one of the last bars we went into, I was like talking about this. I'm like, man, I, the realization I've had like two or three pints every day. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm an alcoholic. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta like stop drinking for a couple of weeks. And some guy at the bar overheard me. Some Irish guy was at the bar overheard me. He's like weak American. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, so you think you're feeling like an alcoholic? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I've just been drinking for 30 days straight. He's like, well, how much are you drinking? I'm like every day, at least two or three pints. He goes, Oh, you're a raging alcoholic. Are you? <laughs> and he started laughing. He's like, I've been sitting in this seat at this pub for the last 15 years every day. And every day I have eight or 10 pints, <laughs> 15 years, eight or I 10 pints <laughs> every day. And he was fine. Like, I mean, he's a little overweight, but yeah, yeah. he looked cheery and fine. It was like, that puts everything in perspective though, doesn't it? <laughs> the worst I had, I think, I think in Germany, when I went to Germany, I was like, I just, I can't drink beer anymore. It's just too much. Like, it's just so ingrained in the culture. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, a few pints after work every day. Same in, same in the UK. When I was living in the UK, I, I it all, again, put it in perspective. And they would run national advertisements on TV, like the major TV networks, primetime. They would run an ad and they had characterized or like what they turned like your body parts into into cartoons. Mm -hmm. And there was like the liver over here was talking to the brain oh. <laughs> cartoons and the liver. They named it like Lily the liver It's like Lily wants just a day or two each week to just relax and, <laughs> and rest. And and the, the whole message was like, try not to drink one day a week or two days a week. If you can really stretch it. Just to give Lily like a break. That's not too much you know? to ask. I'm like, yeah. I'm like they're running this prime time like on the major news networks. And I was like, wow, people here are like drinking crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. But as you get older, you, you realize it's actually quite easy to fall into just daily drinking, even if it's two, two or three drinks, like happen very easily. Yeah, I totally, why don't we get into your involvement in black ops? You're, you're very hands off. Mm -hmm. Um, Nathan had said that you're, you've made yourself available to the company. And let me tell you, Sam, when, when I drop your name over at black ops, they, they really hook it up. So you have some kind of influence over there. <laughs> um, wow. black ops really took care of me. Um, everyone was great. I, I really like what Nathan is done with the culture. I don't, I don't know what it was like before him, but I will tell you that when I walked in there, everyone's in a good mood, which is always a good sign. Mm -hmm. um, they seem to really respect him when, when he's coming around talking to everybody. 
So I, I got a lot of good vibes from the company. And like culturally, I think he he's making a great shift. Besides that, I think he's being really frugal and trying to get Black Ops back to profitability. I don't know what you're saying, though, because obviously you, you're more involved in the business and can see uh, another aspect of it. So why don't you tell us how your investment has evolved since the initial one? Because I assume you've probably had to influx them with some more cash since then and uh, what your status with the business is now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm completely passive except for <laughs> having them on the podcast a couple of times and I, I went down there and bartended for a week and just had fun. But how I got involved initially is actually quite interesting. I'll give you kind of the, the Cliff Notes version. But I was in Thailand and I was working on setting up a craft brew business there. This was after my, my exit with SkySig. And I always tried to pay attention closely to what I saw happening in the US because that's how I had success originally in Europe was I took an idea that was in the US. I looked around some markets in Europe and like realized it's not there yet. Like that mm -hmm. technology, that service isn't there yet. And after you pay attention, I don't think it's so much the case now because places are equalizing, but definitely going back into like 2010 era, things were, were being innovated and created in the US generally first. And then they would usually get to Europe like a year or two later, and then they would get over to Asia Pacific like a couple of years after that. I think social media has really sped all that up now. But yeah, yeah it has. And innovation is starting to, well, I think still a lot of the big pieces of innovation are being done in like California, but a lot of like the web services and stuff, like you go to China and they're like way ahead of Americans right. so many ways now, right? But it, it wasn't like that 10 years ago. And I had some, some relative early successes by just going, looking at what's happened in the US and then investing in some companies in Asia that were doing exactly the same, but they were just gonna they were just gonna have that product for that market, and they were gonna you know I placed a bet that they were gonna win because I knew that that service would eventually become available in those markets. Just who was gonna win, right? That totally makes sense. Yeah, and so the perfect example is craft beer. And you look at the U.S. craft beer market was just exploding ten or fifteen years ago, mm -hmm. but when Black Hops was starting, it wasn't that much of a thing. There was a few craft beer companies starting off, and when I saw what they were doing, and I realized that launching a craft brewery in in Thailand was going to be a total disaster, and I, I was speaking to Dan, and Dan was getting one set up in Australia. I'm like, oh, this is just a way better opportunity. Yeah, and it, it saved <laughs> me. If nothing else, it saved me from so many, so many headaches and probably loss of a lot of money in uh, doing my own in in, in a, a very bad market to do it. So that's how I got involved. You know, I've just been I've just been basically a cheerleader since then. It's been such a fun business to pay attention to and to follow along and to see emerge and go through, you know, go through a lot of ups and a couple of downs that they've gone through. But Nathan for sure represents, you know, the maturing of the business from a startup to a professional we call it food and beverage, although it's primarily just uh, beverage, but into a professional company. They've always had a fantastic brand. They've always had an amazing team going down there. Like the energy is super high. The customer base is, is really like just enjoyable to interact with. And I'm excited to see what the next evolution of the business is. Nathan uh, discussed there's there's challenges macro and, and micro levels and like, but that market is so strong. Like beer is king in Australia, at least from what I've seen and what the number I've paid attention to. And so that's it. Yeah. Beer definitely seems to be a big business there. Um, I thought it was interesting that he had referenced that canning line because before I even spoke to Nathan, I got a tour from uh shout out to Bill. He gave me a tour of like the whole facility. Uh, very impressive. Actually a lot bigger operation than I thought it would be. 
but mm-hmm. half half of the brewery was this canning line. I was like, this thing is massive, and it wasn't even turned on when I was there. So I was like, this is taking up a lot of square footage <laughs> and, and not being utilized. And then I thought it was interesting that you know Nathan had mentioned that was a huge expense that he you know had he been in place that that probably that definitely would not have been purchased. Hopefully they can you know utilize it better in the future. It sounds like an awesome machine and everything, but a little bit overkill for what they needed. Well. I mean, I remember these decisions being made generally passively, but Nathan pointed out like during COVID, everything skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. And I and and to be to, to to be fair to Black Ops, they did some really smart smart things during COVID, like home deliveries via an app and stuff. Things that like are conceptually it would be a good idea to actually pull it off and implement it quickly during COVID because your tap rooms are going to shut down, right? So right. I remember this whole thing like, oh, tap rooms are going to shut down. We have to replace this revenue, and they they went into like home delivery and home delivery and like legal. Uh, hurdles and everything, at least yep. on the U.S. side, is a freaking nightmare with alcohol. And I'm, I'm sure it's the same in Australia because they uh, they have a lot of government overreach there, too. So they made some really good decisions. But uh, because of all the growth, I think it, everyone got overconfident mm-hmm. and expanded quickly. Like, But Black Ops is set up now for like serious scale. The investment they've made in the infrastructure of the company from production well, mostly on the production side, right? Like you saw the tanks that they have. There's like I've never seen tanks that big. <laughs> yeah, unless you're talking like a like an Anheuser Busch brewery or something. They're like huge, <laughs> massive, right? Um, and they're they're canning uh, production lines and everything. So yeah, they're they're set up for scale, which is great because I think capex expenses can be relatively low going forward. They just got to increase national sales and, and international sales. I think that's something that they're also working on. Yeah, I think the next they were looking uh hopping into like Hong Kong and, and some of Asia, I think was the plan. Oh, I would love to drink their beers in Hong Kong. That would be so cool. I think that's I don't know if I'm giving away internal information, but I think that's uh... Hey, talk <laughs> about another good like amazing beer market, Hong Kong. That whole that whole energy, that whole vibe of like go work and you know, most it's mostly banking there, right? Banking finance. Mm-hmm. You go work all day, like suit and tie, and then you go to Long Kwai Fawn afterwards or like Central Soho District. And it's just like, you know, beers all after work. It's such a it's such a great like energy and vibe there. Awesome. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Um, they had also made mention that they would love to get into California, which obviously I think it's a great fit because we've seen all the parallels between Australia mm-hmm. and California. Obviously a competitive market, but I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the progression of Black Ops. I think they're in a good space right now and great beer. I mean, if you're in Australia, go get some Black Ops beer. Well, try to work some some connections in California, get them some distribution, man. Don't just be a don't just be a mooch and drink their beer, bro. You gotta, I know, right? I got, I got reciprocate. I gave him some ideas, but yeah, I guess I need a <laughs> I need a finder's fee. I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> free beer. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Cool, man. Well, that was that was that was a great interview. I appreciate uh, you carving out some time to go over there and, and meet them. I ho- hope it was good rounding to your overall trip to Australia. It was a blast. Um, they, like I said, they hooked it up. It was great. Nathan was awesome. Everybody on the team, um, shout out uh, Emma, Riley, Biff, Bill, all the others I'm forgetting. Um, everyone over at Black Ops was very accommodating and very nice. Sam, like you hooked it up. I'm telling you, you just have to say your name over there. And they're like, oh, what do you want? Sam Marks? Hey, what, a gr- <laughs> what a great name, Biff. Biff. Biff was a cool I, like, name, yeah. I got. He was a very camera shy. I got a, a beer tasting I'm going to post here too. He was not happy about me putting him on camera, but he got over it. Are you going to put up some some digital shorts on either YouTube or Instagram? Yeah, and I'll post the links in the show notes as well so you can check out the uh, very impressive Black Ops operation. All right, I think that's it, Sam. One quick little note. I think we're going to talk a little exclusive about Australia. We'll go a little deeper on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. So if you guys haven't joined that yet, 
go to investlikeaboss.com, click become a Patreon. As low as five bucks a month, you can get access to, God, what do we got? Three years worth of content now. Instant access, uh, mastermind calls, quarterly updates are coming next week, and they're probably live by the time you're hearing this if you're a Patreon. So make sure to join that, investlikeaboss.com, click become a Patreon. And Derek, we're moving everything over to Spotify. Does that change anything for the listeners? Yeah, good point. So the the podcast is now hosted at with Spotify. Hopefully, you shouldn't see any differences. But sometimes people have strange little podcast players, and they like to do their own thing and be weird. <laughs> but uh, the podcast feed has changed a little bit. It should auto forward. If it doesn't, I'll also put a link in the show notes too to our new podcast feed for Invest Like a Boss. Hopefully, nothing has changed, and you can't tell on your end. But if you're having some issues playing the show, we'll definitely post on all our social media as well too how to make sure your episodes don't get interrupted. Awesome. And then I think next week we have quarterly updates. Uh, we'll have Johnny and I talking about everything over the last quarter, new investments, changes in life, etc. And Derek, somehow we got to work you into those quarterly updates, man. We haven't figured out a way yet, but... It's just too much going on, I think. <laughs> <laughs> My investments are boring lately. I want to invest in some beer now that I've gone to Black Ops. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I can sell you some of my shares on the side. All right. Secondary looking forward market. to that. Um, we'll talk to you bosses next week. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment folios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.